we have another exciting episode for you with an interview, a manager hire, and schedule releases, plus a rebrand. You don't want to miss this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. Hey, all right, we are back again. Episode number 191 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. We have a guest. We have some other news, too. It's actually a bit of an exciting week in the world of independent league baseball. Yeah, for the offseason, I would say not bad by offseason standards, for sure. But, you know, we have a great interview on the way as well. And uh, schedule release is my favorite. Love schedules. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's been an interesting week. I'll say that. I mean, I, you are the definition of the planning effect. I mean, you love to have everything laid out really well scheduled and everything. So that's why I assume you love these schedule releases. Plus, they're just exciting. Yeah. They're, just, they're just amazing. It's just like the same thing every year. But you know what? It's schedules. Hey, how could you not be excited about the American Association schedule release? Because Seems like a perfect segue into it, does it not? It, it does. It really does. Because opening day is going to be... On May 11th, we got three games there, so we're going to have six teams in action because that's how baseball works. You need two teams on the field in order to play, uh, you know, unless, you know, someone just decides not to show up like uh, this past year, where if you were playing the Empire State Grays, you really just needed one team and a pitching machine. But that's neither here nor there. What is important is the following day on the 12th, everybody's going to be playing baseball, so all 12 teams will be... Uh, in play it's a standard 100 game slate starts on the 11th like i just said it ends on labor day the 4th so nothing really new here all-star game and events will be july 17th 18th 19th uh location still to be determined be interesting to see where it's going to be i imagine it won't be winnipeg if for no other reason than uh winnipeg kind of far out there same boat for cleveland so it'll probably be one of the other 10 teams uh, but who was really to say? Uh, I also imagine it won't be Chicago either, seeing as they just had it last year. Maybe a Kane County gets it. Maybe one of the newer ballparks in a Milwaukee or a Lake Country gets it. Who's to really say? And Or maybe you do something with Kansas City. There's options there, certainly. So we will certainly wait and see on that front. Uh, divisions remain the same. The East will have Chicago, Cleburne, Gary, King County, Lake Country, and Milwaukee in it over in the West. Fargo will be there. Kansas City will be there. Lincoln will be there. Sioux Falls will be there. Sioux City will be there, as well as Winnipeg. So that is that. And the playoff format will remain the same, or as they put it in the press release, the playoff structure will remain unchanged. So top four in each division will play. You pick your uh, opponent for the first round, and then... uh, pretty straightforward from there a couple of best of threes and a best of five that's how it goes yeah i mean obviously not a whole lot of analysis to go into you know the american association schedule i will say the the interesting thing is like i guess you would think that the all-star game would be kind of settled settled by now like you would think at least uh but so i guess that's interesting i wouldn't think that there's any like really like legit issues there uh but you know, I think everything else is still the same. I mean, given that the success of the playoff format had this year, uh, no surprise that they're going back to it again. But I think that, uh, I, I think, you know, no surprise that they're keeping everything the same, especially with that success last year. 
but you know, just keep an eye on where the where the All Star game ends up because I mean, I guess I'm a little surprised to not see it in uh, right now, but I'm sure that's coming down the line, and I'm sure like a, a it would make sense to go to a place like Milwaukee or a place like King County, um, and you know, just one of those one of those ballparks. I guess that hasn't hosted one yet. I guess would make sense. So I guess that's what I'm. That's the only thing I'm I'm really looking looking for just for where this All Star game and uh, where these All Star festivities might end up. Yeah. I- I would normally agree with all that. The only point I'm going to say is last year it wasn't announced for Chicago till a little while after. So I think it's just kind of an American Association thing now where Maybe, they announced yeah. the All-Star game and they kind of announced the, the rest of it later on. I'm pretty sure it's it's got to be nearly 100% settled at this point. If at the very least they've narrowed it down and it's just a matter of getting everything else in order, make sure there's no conflicts or anything like that. Because I'm sure, you know, if there's an opportunity to host, like, say, a mid-level concert that's probably more lucrative to the uh, ballpark owner than having the three-day festivity here. Uh, And that's just a business decision at that point, so I can't really blame them all too much for that. That being said, of course, I I don't know why. I kind of want it to be uh, Lake Country or however the hell you pronounce Umamawak or however that's... I I think we should just move on and just say light country. (laughs) We're going to. I just want to give it one shot at least this episode because it comes up later on. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I feel like it is. Maybe it could fit with the theme of this episode and and wind up in Franklin, Wisconsin. But uh, yeah, I I think a newer ballpark or a newer market is probably the best course of action there. Not only is it probably a... well. Maybe not in the case of King County. I'm sure their ballpark's nice, but, you know, certainly in the brand new constructed ones are probably going to be a bit nicer. It'd be nice to show that off. It'd also be nice to engage these kind of newer communities to the league, try and get them, you know, a little bit excited for it. So I'm hoping for that. But yeah, everything else is pretty standard here. I know we've had mixed feelings about the playoff format and the playoff structure, but it is what it is at this point. It worked out fine in the end. Uh, Obviously, you know, when you get towards the end of the year and you have teams that are hovering around 500, maybe under 500, and they're still in playoff contention, it's good for the teams and it's good for the league because then, you know, more teams are in contention, obviously, and so it kind of keeps your interest. But at the same time, it does feel, you know, not great seeing a team that's five games under 500 not eliminate from playoff contention when we're 10 days from the end of the season. So obviously that's still going to exist. But if it works out in the end like it did this year, then fine. If it doesn't, then eh, we'll deal with that bridge when we get there. So, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with everything. It's pretty standard at this point. Yeah, not to be, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I yeah. mean, with the, it had a it had a lot of success. Uh, the, the format had a lot of success this year, so not a surprise that they're going back to it. Absolutely there. And so we will move on to the next uh, piece of news, which is another schedule release, of course, and that is in the Pioneer League. They made this announcement a little bit early in the week on Tuesday, and uh, they pretty much did the exact same thing that the American Association did. Another 96-game season. Playoff format remains the same with the Two half division champions. First half for them will end on July 16th. So keep that in mind. The season itself it opens on May 23rd. It runs through September the 9th. So your first half is uh, May 23rd through through June uh, 16th, and then June or not June, my mistake. Uh, July 16th is when the first half ends, not June. And then July 17th through uh, September 9th will be the second half, and whoever's Leading divisions at each of those points 
will make the postseason. Uh, you can vo- view the full schedule on the Pioneer League website, but uh, all the clubs are still here. Divisions remain the same. And like I said, everything is quite literally the same. They're just reaffirming and giving firm dates now. Yeah, so, I mean, kind of same idea. No reason to really change anything from the Pioneer League perspective. Um, so, I mean, very similar to what happened, uh, what the league was, what the league setup was like last year, um, with the teams, uh, the teams as well. So, yeah, I mean, with, especially with the Haves, no, no real reason to really change anything. So, although, I mean, I don't know, though, like, not exactly the same slate of teams because of another reason we'll get to, but, uh, but I think that, you know, it's, uh, it'll, it'll certainly be interesting and, the Pioneer League has had very, had a lot of success since moving to Indy Ball, so I think that uh, it's you know I mean, keeping it the same as it was last year. Don't mess with success, and that's what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you still have all ten clubs here. You have your what four in Montana, two in Idaho, and then the rest in Colorado and Utah. Uh, so yeah, it is exciting, and I suppose that's a great way to jump to the next point, which is of course. Uh, one of those teams is going to look a little bit different. Will, you just alluded to it, so we'll get right to it. Earlier today, we had the announcement that the Grand Junction Rockies had completed the rebrand. We mentioned this a couple of weeks back uh, because before, like we said, there was a Grand Junction Rockies, and everyone was kind of like, well, you're no longer affiliated with the Rockies, so maybe change it up a bit. You don't really need to be promoting someone you have no attachment to anymore. And after winning a championship, they took it to heart and agreed, and now the Grand Junction Rockies will be formerly known as the Grand Junction jackalopes that is right a jackalope basically a rabbit with antlers not horns but antlers and uh that will be starting in 2023 nothing else really changes they had over a thousand submissions from the community it's a mythical creature jackalope and it's just kind of generally associated with that region of the country it looks like a brandios design and uh yeah, that's kind of the the way it looks. If you know that company, you know what this is going to look like. You can go to the Pioneer League site or I guess the Jackalope site to see the full thing. And certainly on our social media as well. It looks fine to me. It's again hard to break down logos on an audio show, but it looks fine. Yeah, I think to be quite honest with you, Nick, I yep. like love this. I love it. I think the name is great. I think it's creative, but it's not ridiculous. Like, it's it's like it's not it's creative and it's like fun, but it's not like too over the top. Like okay. I think like obviously like a jackalope isn't a real creature, but I think it speaks to kind of like the mountains and like the area of like uh, in Colorado. Like I think it's really cool. And to be honest with you, like and I know I'm, I'm not gonna try and explain the logo on a podcast, but yeah. I think the logo looks really cool too. Like with the rabbit and and uh, antlers. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm I'm really high on this. I think this looks really cool. I think the logo looks really cool. I think the name is um, I think the name is very uh, creative, and I think we absolutely we both acknowledge that they had to change the name of Rockies. Like, you you just can't be remaining with the name Rockies at this point. But I'm a big fan of this. A really big fan of this. I like the like the GJJ type of thing too. Yeah. Um, I think I'm I'm a huge fan of this. I really really love it. Yeah, like, I will say Grand Junction Jackalopes does sound pretty good. I would like the name of it. The only critique I'm going to have, and I do like the colors too. Maybe I would change the black to something else. Maybe like a dark gray or something, but that's kind of whatever there. The only thing I'm going to say is I look at the Jackalope itself and the logo. 
and it feels like some sort of Dr. Seuss like creature. I don't I'd argue that's not a bad thing though. Yeah, it's not really a bad thing. It just feels like you know the live action uh the Grinch stole Christmas? Yeah. I look at this uh jackalope and I kinda get a Cindy Lou Who a kind of view vibe yeah. from it. Yeah. Like I don't think it's a bad thing though. I think it looks cool. Personally, that's what I think. You, do, you don't disagree with me, but I think it looks cool. I don't disagree. Like, I'm not disagreeing. I think it's pretty solid. It's just, that's the first thing that came to my mind when I saw it. And I just pulled up, like, the picture on Google and comparing it. I I know exactly what it is. It's because of the way the ears shoot up and the teeth are out. So it looks the same way. Yeah, I mean, I can see, I can see how, I can see how you'd say that. But to be honest with you, I still think it, I think it looks sharp. I think it looks cool. Um, you know, I think that, uh, I think you mentioned, like, yeah, it kind of resembles, like, someone from the, like, Cindy Lou Who from the Grinch. That's an interesting comparison. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think they had to change the name, and I think it's creative and fun. Like, as I mentioned earlier, I think it's, it's fun, but it's not too over the top. So, uh, I'm a big fan of that. I really love it. I really love the logo. I mean, I love everything about it. I agree with that. I'll agree with that. Now, would you buy like a t-shirt or a hat with that logo? Uh, depending on the price. Let's say standard price, $25. I'd consider. All right. Now, is that better or worse than the Timberjacks? Because we know Missoula did that little Timberjack thing. Yeah. Um. And that's pretty solid. I'm not going to lie. Probably not, probably not as good as that. Because that Timberjack logo is pretty good. Like, I still really like that Timberjacks jersey. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. not Probably not as good. Probably not on that level, but I still I still think I'd still dig the Jackalopes. I still think that sounds cool. Oh, yeah. It definitely is. But, like, and plus, now, now I'm forced myself to look at that Timberjacks hat again. And, man, it's so nice. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really sick design. And, you know, I, I, everything about it. it it's hard cool. to top that. Yeah. Plus, I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. Like some of these Timberjack hats, like the cap ones, especially kind of look like the Boston Celtic logo. Uh, yeah, I remember. Well, I mean, yeah, I remember this, the conversation we had about it. Like, yeah. I think it's I, I can see where you, where it comes from that from that. But I think that's a really that's a that's a bar that's tough to clear. And uh, I mean, you know, I think the Jackalopes did a good job. I don't think it's on that level though. Yeah, well, it's hard to be on that level, so we're not gonna hold that against them. Uh, any event. Uh, that's all we got for Jackalope Talk. We will go ahead and advance on to our final uh, topic of the day, which, of course, is the Sussex County Miners. They have finally named a new manager. And I say finally as though it took them a long time. Two weeks ago, Bobby Jones was out. Now we got a new guy in as of November 1st. The manager will be Chris Wedger. Widger. Widger, I believe. That is W-I-D-G-E-R. Uh, and so at first I didn't really recognize the name, but then I looked him up and I realized, of course, he's a longtime major league uh, veteran. He has experience as a manager in both affiliated and independent leagues. He was most recently with the Royals, if I'm not mistaken, their organization. And uh, he's going to be taking over for uh, Bobby Jones in uh, Sussex County. He seems like a pretty solid hire all the way around and... Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how he takes over here in Sussex County. Obviously, got a big uh, set of shoes to fill, but he seems like an interesting hire. 
Yeah, I think the uh, he definitely has obviously he obviously has big shoes to fill with Bobby Jones, but I think looking at the resume, I think they hit this one out of the park. Honestly, I mean he's got he's got the indie ball experience, he's got the minor league ball experience. He played in the big leagues. He's been at every single level of baseball in some in some way, even like uh, so. To be honest with you, like I, I think this is a great hire. And looking at the, uh, I mean, he's playing for all those, all these great managers, and uh, and you know, it just seems like it, it just seems like it's a really good. And of course, you know what they always say: catchers make great managers. So, uh, so it seems like a really strong hire. It's really hard to replace Bobby Jones, but at least on paper and. I mean, what does on paper mean at the end of the day? But uh, at least on paper, Witcher seems like a a really strong, really solid hire uh, given the circumstances. And I'm sure that I'm sure it says he's given the Bobby Jones blessing, and Bobby Jones helped find him. I, I I'd be really confident because I think this is uh, I think this seems like a really really strong hire, and I can't wait to see what he does with it. Absolutely. I mean, you look through the whole lineup of guys that he's played under in Lou Pinella, uh, Felipe Alou, Joe Torre, Tony La Russa, uh, Ozzie Guillen. You know, there's a whole just laundry list of guys that he's been learning from, guys that are really well thought of managers, guys that were very successful on a major league level. And obviously there's a large difference between major league and independent league, but there is a lot going there. He's had success with guys on a minor league level before. You mentioned Bobby Jones kind of gave his blessing. All of it seems to point in that right direction. It's kind of hard to really say too much without actually seeing him uh, coach on the Frontier League level for a duration of time. So we'll wait and we'll see on it. But overall, it does look rather promising as of right now for the Miners. And hopefully it works out good because the Miners had a little bit of a slump over the last little bit. It'd be nice to see them kind of get back to that winning way that they are more accustomed to. Yeah, for sure. And while the beast with Tri City might not be the same, uh, it's you know I think it's it seems like a really strong hire on paper, and the league is better with Sussex County is better, uh, and I I hope that Witcher can get him back there, uh, back into the playoffs uh, where this where this team that has won for a lot of years uh, where they belong. And I, uh, it seems it seems like a honestly like a very strong hire. I think on paper. And, the, and looking at his resume, I think that's about as good as you could possibly get with an indie ball manager. Uh, and so I, I'd be really confident. This seems like a, a great hire. Absolutely. Definitely agree. And you know what we get to do now? We get to go to an interview with a manager, not Chris Widger, of course, but rather a championship winning manager in the American Association. Just went back to another American Association Miles Wolf Cup final dragged it out to five games was probably one of the best series of the year if not the best and produced one of the best if not the best games of the year and has a wealth of knowledge that's of course uh, Anthony Barone the manager of the Milwaukee Milkman we spent uh, about an hour talking to him a really nice guy really informative guy uh, hopefully you'll find this interview rather enjoyable. I know me and Will had a lot, a lot of fun uh, doing it. And uh, there is a kind of a fun story at the end that we get to um, when we get to the kind of nonsense part of uh, all our interviews. To be honest with you, Nick, it was one of the one of my favorite interviews that I think I've uh, 
I've, I've that I've had a chance to partake in because it was uh, it was really informative. I mean, Anthony certainly got a personality as well, uh, and just a lot of great talk about um, specifically like. When, how does he view the American Association combining the other leagues? Something we talk about a lot on this show. Talk a lot about how the American Association roster, how they uh, like the roster limits, and how he kind of works within them. Some benefits and uh, maybe not, and um, maybe some drawbacks as well. So really interesting. Got into his coaching career as well. I mean, just just so much to talk about, and it was a joy to conduct. It was a lot of fun. It absolutely was, and you know he doesn't uh, he doesn't dance around when we ask him. Like you know, uh, compared to other, he, right to the point on, it. and that's something I also really appreciate about it. He makes it well known on that stance, and you know, it it really is a fun interview. So I guess we'll just kind of dive into it, so that way you guys can see for yourself. Here's our interview with Milwaukee Milkman manager Anthony Barone. All right, we are back again this week with another interview, and it's another good one as we this time go to the American Association and we take one of the best managers in the league and bring him to the show this week. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Milwaukee Milkman Manager, Anthony Barone. How are you doing today? Hey guys. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. Doing pretty well, and we're definitely excited to talk to you. And obviously, you guys had a have had a very impressive three-year stretch, and especially last year, having probably the best game of the year uh, towards the, in the postseason there. You had a couple of really, really good epic of games, so uh, certainly going to be excited to talk to you about all of that and, and then some. Yeah, yeah, we had a fun year, and um, it's going to be fun to share that stuff with you guys. Yep, absolutely there. And so I know, Will, you've had a couple of questions you're chomping at the bit to get to. So uh, I guess I'll let you take uh, the leadoff spot on this one and uh, get us going. Yeah, for sure. So first of all, Anthony, thank you again for coming on the show. This is a, I know it's a thrill for, for us as well. I, I guess to kind of start, when did you know that uh, coaching was something that, that you wanted to get into and explain kind of how you got uh, working in, in the perfect game league as well and some summer college balls too. Yeah, it's been, you know, it's been a long go at it. Um, I got done with college back in 2001, right down there in New Jersey. I see you guys, you guys are on the East coast, right? You guys might be down in New Jersey area. Yeah. So, we're both, um, we're yep. both Jersey guys. Actually, if, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not far from Lodi either. So yeah, that's, I, so I graduated from Felician university right there. I uh, had two campuses, Rutherford and, and Lodi and, uh, Got done there in 2001, and I uh, just sort of I, I, I had the passion to want to coach. I got my degree in education, but um, at the end of the day, I really just wanted to focus on staying in the game of baseball. I love the game, and uh, just sort of that's what brought me to that. Um, you know, just my passion for the game of baseball. So I I, uh, I got done in 2001 and started coaching. I got offered an assistant job as, at junior college back home in New York, and uh, from there, just sort of ran with it. Um, became i think after a couple of years as an assistant i became one of the youngest head coaches in junior college baseball i think i was 25 years old 24 um and uh just had some success there and moved on to the division one level at cal state bakersfield and uh some things happened from there but i got into the perfect game league with uh with our current ownership group mike zimmerman our gm dan kinsey uh back in 2000 and it was winter of 2014 I interviewed um, for the managerial job here in Jamestown, New York, and I flew out to Milwaukee. Mike and Dan interviewed me, and 
just the rest is history. Uh, they liked me. They hired me and had success in the, in the PGCBL with some high-level college guys, won championship and, you know, a couple awards and different things. And so a lot of our guys go on to the professional game, which was always, you know, that's their dream as college guys. And, and I think we did, you know, pretty much other than the Cape Cod League, we were in Jamestown, one of the most successful franchises in the country each each year. So um, just really developed that. And then in 2018, we won a championship. Our owner, Mike Zimmerman, um, decided to put all the efforts into his expansion team in Milwaukee. And he actually donated the franchise um, here to the city of Jamestown because he had the affinity, loved the city of Jamestown. And, and him and Dan both, you know, thought that was the best um, plan for the franchise uh, to donate it to the city. City of Jamestown, you know, baseball is really important. The mayor had a good relationship with Mike and Dan. And uh, we wanted to see the we want to see the franchise, the ownership group go into, into, into the right hands. So they did that. Mike and Dan asked me, you know, if I wanted to be a part of the new franchise in Milwaukee and uh, got my feet wet into professional baseball in 2019. And then going into the off season, I, I, um, I got hired um, in October to become the new manager or, you know, the manager in 2020. And, and um, you know, from there, from there on, I've just sort of, Tried to continue, you know, what I used to do in Jamestown. Just try to be successful and help our players the best we can. And obviously, so much of uh, so much of a job as a, an independent league manager and a uh, American Association manager is team building and putting together a roster. And uh, I know you mentioned specifically summer college ball. I actually work in uh, in the Cape Cod League. I've worked in the past few years as well. So I know the the team building aspect of, of summer college ball well, at least as as well. So is there anything you t- you could take as far as, uh, as as team building and I guess I use recruiting players for lack of a better term, but in the, yeah. in the sense of uh, summer college ball and independent league ball. But uh, is there anything you learned as far as as far as team building in that sense and kind of starting from scratch that you took with you to Milwaukee when you went when you made the jump? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's very similar, actually. Recruiting, you're trying to get the best players you can. And I always tell people this, you know, no matter what level you're at, um, obviously, it's important bringing in guys that have good character and guys that, you know, are going to be good for the organization on and off the field. But at the end of the day, uh, the talent wins and you have to go out there and get the best available players you can get. Um, and, and guys that are hungry. And, uh, every time I, I talk to guys now on the phone, it's the same thing. I, I want to make sure they have that dream to play in the big leagues, whether they've been there, whether they haven't. Um, that's the first thing I ask them. You, you know, you have to have that hunger, to want to get to the big leagues still and uh we want to make sure those are the guys that you know that we're going after and guys that um have the right chip on their shoulder you know the chip on their shoulder wider in independent baseball and um how they can get back to affiliated so we uh you know when we go after guys it's we have we have our little formula and uh but at the end of the day uh in jamestown in the pgcbl and, and compared to professional baseball you're always trying to put together team you start try you know for me it was you start up the middle with catcher shortstop second baseman center fielder and you work around that uh obviously the biggest difference is a salary cap in the american association college ball you're not playing your you're not paying your uh players so uh we have you know we have different obstacles but um in general you're just looking for the best talent you want to you want the best nine guys out there you can find guys will mesh well guys will represent the organization 
And we've had, you know, the last couple of years, we've just had tremendous guys on and off the field. Uh, you know, not only do they win on the field, but, uh, you know, they, they fit right in with the community and, and with our fans, our host families. Uh, it's, it's just been a really good group of guys. And Anthony, you mentioned the, uh, and it actually is a good segue into what I, what I wanted to ask you about as well. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, you guys have your, your little formula and you want guys that, that are still hungry to, to get to the big leagues, get back. To, and of course, getting back to affiliated ball, a big part of that as well. But obviously at the end of the day, your, your job as the manager of the Milwaukee Milkman is to win as many games as possible. So how do you balance uh, when putting together a roster, how do you balance, and I'm sure it's some sort of balance, but how do you balance, all right, what are the best players we can possibly find to put on this team and cut and try and balance that with, all right, well, at the same time, we can't have like a ton of massive turnover uh, and try and rebuild an entire team mid season. So how do you balance the, uh, the, the idea of, Hey, we want the best players we can possibly get and guys who are and balance that with guys who are going to be here or more like more than like more likely than not to be here the entire season? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, it sort of takes care of itself sometimes, you know, you have your guys that uh, get picked up and, you know, throughout the course of the season, you have to replace those guys. Um, it always just seems to, you know, add up to where you're at the right spot. Like right now we're going through process in the off season of, which guys are going to come back, which guys are retiring. You always want to give the guys a little, you know, time after the season just to get their mind, you know, straight where uh, after a long season, you know, they go into off season jobs and different things, but it's always, I think it's, there is a balancing act between, especially in the American association, you, have, you know, with officer rules with veterans, you can only have six and you still have to carry five rookie LS one guys. So, you're always still balancing those young, hungry guys with the old bets that have been around. So I think that's what's really nice about the American Association is we have a really good mixture of the young guys to keep the old guys, you know, young, and then the old guys to help bring up the younger guys and mentor those guys. So uh, I see it every year. And it, and it always just sort of, like I said, it, it takes place. It just sort of happens. Um we always, you're always on the fly in independent baseball with a roster. It's, it's always turning over. And, and at the end of the day, you, you never know either at the end of the year, I'm not saying it could happen, but you might have 10 guys that want to retire. Um, you know, they, and that, that's, that's how quick it can happen. So you're only as good, you know, as that next day in, I mean, your next game. And, um, it's just, you just keep, you just keep plugging at it day by day. And that's what I, I think that's what I've learned the most is, it's a day-to-day thing and you can't look too far ahead. You just sort of got to take it day-to-day. And it's interesting you bring up those uh, American Association roster rules and, you know, some of the benefits that you have the guys that are, you know, uh, younger guys to keep, to try and keep the older guys hungry. You know, there's some, there's a lot of people who say, Hey, uh, why not just try and build? Uh, And of course there's, there's some financial aspects (laughs) to that, but uh, there, there are those out there who say about the American Association, why don't you just do away with those roster rules, like kind of go the Atlantic League method and just build the best possible team you can? Is that is that something? Uh, so, do you view like those roster rules and like you have to have certain requirements for limited number of veterans, certain number of uh, of rookies and uh, LS one guys, like you said? You do you view that? Do you think that there are benefits to that? That say just building your best roster of uh, 26 to 28 guys that doesn't have? 
Oh, I think they're, I think our rules are the best. I mean, you look at what it does for all of our players. You, I mean, younger guys generally draw scouts to games. Um, and that's what I always try to tell some of our older guys. You know, people ask, why, why do we have these rules? And I, I think a lot of it has to do with, I think we want the best product out there possible. Uh, and we want the most visibility out of any other uh, independent league. And what the American Association does is, is, is great. You know, we have, we have the mixture of young guys, old guys, guys that are, I think, you know, as we all know, it's easier to sign a younger guy from a, as an affiliated guy. Um, just because there's more potential, the untapped, you know, ceiling and all that. But also you have the older guys that can fill right, fill right in at double A AA or triple A. So I think we have the best of both worlds with the young, you know, with the rules. Uh, and, and, you know, you don't even, after a while, you don't even think about them. You just, it's something natural. We, we, when we accumulate this roster, procure the roster, we already know the rules. We just go about it and that's what it is. Uh, I don't think, to be honest with you, I don't think too much about it. I just think it's an outstanding way to develop a uh, player system in general because you're getting such a great mixture of talent from rookie ball to big league guys, to undrafted college guys. So we have the whole, you know, you know, ladder for that food chain. And, and I think they're all, like I said, hungry to, to get back or to get there. So I think, you know, the American Association does it 100% the right way. Uh, that's interesting because it has some. Uh, I definitely want to bring in Nick on this too because this is something that we've talked about. We've talked about the American Association roster rules and as well as the the some of the benefits to to it and some of the uh, you know drawbacks and saying hey like it, I mean the Atlantic League's doing whatever the Atlantic League's doing, but the American Association could like turn into the premier independent league if it isn't already. So it, I know- it's 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 the premier independent league right now. Um, I'm not going to go too much more into detail, but. Yeah. I think from from facilities to cities that we play in, the talent pool uh, to schedule, everything we do is 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 big time. So, uh, you know, like I said, I think having that mixture of young talent, older talent, uh, there's it's 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 outstanding. And like I said, I think it keeps everybody on you know hungry. And uh, you know, sometimes when you're around a lot of older you know older group of guys, if it was all older guys. You know they're they're playing. It's great. You know, but the you know the younger group of guys sort of keeps everybody hungry, and um, it's it's just it's a different vibe than if we had a whole clubhouse full of like thirty five year old guys. So that's that's really interesting. I, and Nick, I, I wanna I wanna bring you in on that as well because I there, I know there's a lot of interesting stuff in there that if you if you want to ask something along those lines as well. Oh yeah, I mean definitely. I mean that's the one thing is before maybe you would have been able to say. All right, well, the Atlantic League may have a few bigger names, but even as we saw this past year, across the league as a whole, there's a a myriad of really well-known major leaguers, guys that had very long and extensive uh, productive careers there, too. So, I mean, on that level, talent-wise alone, it's just leveling out. And and like you were saying, when you have this mixture of young guys and old guys, you do create a condition where you can have kind of surprise stories pop up. And I think... In addition to that, you never really know who you're going to get. And I think a good example of a younger guy that maybe wasn't getting a shot, but then did get a shot and wound up back in Milwaukee actually this past year would be a guy like, say, Peyton Gray, for example, who I know me and Will first took notice of him during the uh, pandemic season. And it took us a second to realize 
this guy has a zero ERA. Like, how do you manage a, a zero ERA for not yeah. like two or three games or even a week, but for a whole was, slate? Yeah, like 50 thir- plus games? I think it was 32 appearances. Yeah. So, incredible. Yeah. And then, of course, it, when he plays against Sioux Falls, I was like, oh, he's going to shut the door against him. And that's when he gives it the one run. And it's like... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he yeah. came so close to it. But yeah, uh, which kind of brings me to a point of you've had some very impressive bullpens in your tenure uh, in Milwaukee, uh, most notably Rodrigo Benoit this past season as well. And amongst other guys, I know Miles Smith kind of was more of a starter for you guys, certainly. But there's been a lot of guys, Anthony Bender, a guy who's now with the Marlins, if I'm not mistaken. So I guess kind of what goes into building that bullpen, because it seems like you guys uh, seem to hit on pitchers an awful lot. Now, of course, there's also a couple batters I'm going to mention, too, but we'll start with the pitching. Yeah, it's been a good run the last three years. Our bullpen has been our strength, I think, of the team. Uh, the biggest thing I always, going into camp, uh, discuss with my you know my coaching staff, one of the biggest things I look for with any bullpen, bullpen arm is guys that throw strikes. Yeah. Uh, I think that's where bullpens lose game is when games is when they walk guys and that's my biggest like pet peeve is you know we got to get guys that throw strikes compete uh the compete thing is the biggest factor of a bullpen guy um you know you're going in there with a with a late lead and a lot of pressure so it's a different type of personality i think you're looking for but we've been very lucky you you know you go back past these these three years with 2020 we had like a three-headed monster um, with A.J. Shugel yeah. or Miles Smith in the seventh, A.J. Shugel in the eighth, Peyton Gray in yeah. the ninth. We had Anthony Bender. We had we had Karch Kowalczyk, like sort of as our, our bridge guys. Yeah. Um, you know, when you have Anthony Bender, who's a guy that throws 99 to 100, and, and he's your bridge guy back then, it was, it was pretty impressive. Uh, and did we think Bender could get to the big leagues? Absolutely. You know, yeah, his stuff is incredible when you watch it. Um, that season, uh, it, it, but he learned, you know, we had a guy, AJ Shugel, who was a former big leaguer and AJ short sort of showed the way mentored Peyton Gray, Bender, those guys through that summer, uh, just to, just to be professional, showed them how to be professionals. And, uh, so that was, that was 2020. And then last year we had, we had this young bullpen. We had Nate Hadley, who was the rookie of the year, I think closer, he had a one something ERA. Uh, I, I got him from the Minnesota Twins. They had released him, UCLA product. Yeah. And he was, oh man, talk about, he just, he wanted the ball every game in the ninth inning. And, and then Ryan Boyer was another undrafted guy we found um, who pitched for me back in Jamestown, actually. Oh, okay. He was my closer back then. That's how I knew of him. You look at Ryan's past history, he's a big time strike throwing. He's a strike thrower, another guy, 94, 97. And then a guy, Kyle Mora. Kyle was uh, a UCLA guy. Then, you know, this year he actually got signed uh, after a couple yeah. starts. But our bullpen in 2021 was excellent as well. And then this year, he sort of turned the page. And, and Karch Kowalczyk was our closer to begin the year. He sort of he got banged up halfway through the year. And Rodrigo Benoit was just too good. To, he was setting Karch up. And then we moved Rodrigo to the uh, closer spot. And I think he went like 18 straight appearances without giving up a run. And he's another guy, you know, easy, effortless, 95 to 98 um, with a wipeout slider. And in my opinion, I've been in the league three years and 
there has not been a better arm in the league that I've seen in three years. So, uh, you, you know, when you have him at the end of the game, you know it's over. <laughs> so, um, I just it's something I've always thought building a strong bullpen uh, is is something that is very very important in any level of baseball, but especially professional baseball. If you can hand the ball, if your starter can go five or six, and then you just you know, let the bullpen take over. It makes your job as a manager much easier. And, um, you know, and then we had Frankie Bartow there at the end of the year this year, who was lights out with Rodrigo. And so we just, we just sort of find these guys. It's nothing. um, I look for guys that have some experience closing and, and we just sort of trust in them. And, um, you know, we've, I, I try to tell people Milwaukee's like, for people to come there, it's 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 a um, a great place for pitchers. We we get a lot of guys signed, um, yeah. you know, whether it's affiliated Mexico, Japan. Uh, I think us, you know, in Kansas City, the last three years are, are in independent baseball, the top three team or top two teams getting guys signed. So um, it's something we pride ourselves in. We pride ourselves in winning a lot of games and getting guys signed. So. Yeah, and no, I mean, you guys, you just keep churning them out. And I remember uh, doing a piece on Nate Hadley when he first signed and going, this guy throws really well, and he has good numbers. I'm not quite sure why he got released, but good for Milwaukee. Well, he, got, he got released because here's the other, you know, yeah. he threw, he was 87 to 91, not a really hard thrower, yeah. good changeup. And that was sort of the same thing with Peyton Gray. Peyton Gray was never a hard thrower, but, you know, in, in, in affiliated baseball, you know, they're looking for the guys that are that can yeah. get to 100 miles per hour. I mean, we're looking for guys that can get out. We don't care yeah. how you do it. Yeah. Um, in baseball, it doesn't really matter if you get it. If, if Nate Hadley has a plus changeup and he gets guys out with it, what's it matter? What's the difference between that or throwing a 97 mile per hour fastball by somebody? Yeah. So we we don't. You know, we're not. We'll take any guy that can get out. We don't. We don't care how they do it. They throw it underhand, overhand, changeup, fastball, whatever it is. We're looking for guys, you know, that get outs. So yeah, that's that's the reason why a guy like Nate Hadley, does, he gets released not because of his numbers in affiliated baseball. It's because of the projection. They don't project yeah. him to be a guy that's going to be in the big leagues throwing ninety eight to one hundred. Yeah, and that's one of the more beautiful things about independent, I guess now partner ball, if we're going to go with that term, uh, that you can have these guys that, you know, they're very good pitchers. They just don't do it the way that, you know, there's, for lack of a better term, I guess, supposed to in the eyes of major league orgs, but they still are extremely good arms and it gives them a chance. And a little bit ago, you mentioned getting guys signed to Mexico and Japan. And when you mentioned guys going to Japan, one name immediately jumps out, which would, of course, be Adam Brett Walker, one of the guys that just lit the league on fire, really, his last two years here. And then, I mean, you come up with... Uh, other guys, Brian Torres, this past year, who I look up halfway through the year, he's batting 400. And it's just, you guys seem to find at least one or two bats every year that kind of come up and do really good and just kind of surprise everybody. A guy like Mason Davis is another one that comes to mind, Aaron Hill. Uh, these are all guys that kind of were, I don't want to say lesser known, but they were kind of under the radar and then they just kind of exploded when given the chance. So I guess uh, in the same way we talked about the pitching and the bullpen, we'll, we'll talk about these guys now. Yeah, Adam Walker, what a what a tremendous story! Uh, just the incredible couple of years he had for Milwaukee, and he was so important to our franchise on and off the field. Being a Milwaukee guy, and and the type of person he is, just 
just unbelievable uh, person, and he gave so much to the community, and he helped us win a lot of games. Uh, I feel so, you know, I'm so proud of Adam, and he's so. I, I'm hoping he's proud of himself and what he's done. Great family, just just a tremendous story. How he sort of resurrected his career in Milwaukee with us, and uh, worked so hard, extremely hard at his profession, and and he's getting it, it paid off. And he went to Japan, and he was ready ready to play over there. And I think that's what goes unnoticed too is what a partner league does, like the American Association is it, it prepares our players. Um, they might not, you know, Adam might not have been ready uh, being a high second, third round pick coming out of college and having a lot of pressure um, in an organization. And, but, you know, when he got to Milwaukee to, you know, partner league independent baseball, he just rejuvenated his career and he had so much confidence in himself that he could do it. And, um, and he did it his way. And, um, you know, and he showed that, that he is really, highly talented and he it, he took that over to japan this year and he was an all-star over there so what that does not only for our league but for our franchise no other franchise in our league can can go recruit a player and tell them hey we've had we've had a guy adam walker who's now an all-star in japan we've had a guy anthony bender that's been in the big leagues closing games um you know so we we try to we try to you know show people you come to milwaukee it, it can happen and uh, Adam was just a great story and uh, so happy for him and, and what he did. And then, like you said, this year, you know, we've, we, we try to get, you know, these guys like Aaron Hill and um, Brian Torres, Brian, what a great, you know, great year he had. And he was a guy that hit 280 in double A last year and the giants, you know, he's a bit undersized. Um, you know, I was told he was positionless. He, he didn't have a position. He was a catcher in double A. Um, but one of the best athletes, I think the, you know, the league has, uh, you could play center. He played center field 42 games for us. He played second base 42 games for us, played some right field. He caught a game. So he's just one of those diverse, you know, those, those utility guys that I love to have. He, in my opinion, he was like, you know, a left-handed hitting Logan Trowbridge yeah. who Logan did so much for us for oh, yeah. three years and, um, having, having both Trowbridge and Torres, Yes. It was really dynamic, especially there at the top of the lineup. Uh, it was it was fun to fun to have both those guys together. Yeah, I I, I forgot about Trowbridge there for a minute until you mentioned him as well. But he was a utility knife too. I mean, really, the more you start to look at, it, and the more that lineup became really intimidating. And I'm sure we're going to start to talk about the the results from last year too. But before we do that, before I throw back to Will to see. If, what else he has to ask, I do want to just throw out just kind of like what's the playing experience like for players in Milwaukee? What's kind of the the atmosphere, both, you know, on the team, with the team, in the room, and then just in a general sense, once you leave the field, when you're actually in Franklin, when you're in Milwaukee, when you're in that whole surrounding areas, what's that kind of experience like from day one uh, I, on? I use this, I use this like term quite a bit, but people ask me, what's it like to manage in Franklin, Wisconsin, yeah. uh, you know, with all the facilities you guys have. And it's just simple, you know, on a home game day, I stepped, I stepped onto the, onto the campus that we have over there yeah. and it's just energy. You feel the energy right away. Uh, it's a different type of energy than you feel at any other place in the league. Uh, we get there, we have everything available to make a player better strength and conditioning. Um, you know, our strength and conditioning, uh, facilities are unbelievable. Our playing facilities, our you know batting cages, everything we have as a player uh, is just 
unbelievable. We have Exos, which is a sports and uh, sports and training center with a YMCA um, right in the second floor of our uh, Mosh Performance Center. So you name it, it's just it's just energy. You know, like I said, yeah, I, I can go there in the morning. We have a uh, blend coffee shop. It's called, which is right on our campus, and it's. You know, that's right there. And, you know, you get a cup of coffee and you start your day and go over to the office. And it's just that relaxed, energetic feeling that, you know, you're at the best place in independent baseball. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's in my opinion, as a player, you can sense the players when they get there. They're relaxed. Uh, they're enjoying themselves. We have a lot of fun. Uh, I let our guys, you know, I, I have the saying, be your own beautiful. You know, everybody – Everybody is different and everybody can do it a different way. You don't have, you know, we're not trying to create a bunch of robots out there like some affiliated teams do. Um, we're, we're just trying to let these guys be who they are and they're good enough. And, you know, at the end of the day, when you can play loose and free and usually your talent comes out and uh, we've had a really good positive experience because I think our players feel relaxed in Franklin um, at our sports facility. And, uh, you know, it's it's just a fun feeling when you get there. We're, we're having fun. We're winning games. And, um, you know, our guys know they have a great chance to get signed when they come to Milwaukee. And our fan base is tremendous. They love our team, and they follow us. And, um, you know, every game, you know, we're at home. And it's just such a nice feeling knowing, you know, come the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings, you know, they're, they're very good fans. You know, yeah. they're, they're supportive and they're with us the whole time. So, you know, then after a game, we have the umbrella bar, which is a, which is a nice little uh, yeah. caveat to the night where you win a ball game, you go up and, you know, you have a drink and the guys can, you know, hang out. And it's a great, great team, team building and chemistry. And these guys have a lot of fun coming to Milwaukee yeah. um, and Franklin Fields. Franklin Fields, one of the top facilities you can find. And, and we do a really nice job. You know, making sure our guys are taken care of. Yeah, I imagine. I mean, you, the way you're pitching it to me, it makes it uh, it makes me want to kind of go out to Milwaukee once or twice, even though it's man, uh, it's yeah, it's the best it's the best place. And uh, like I said, you, you know, it's you know, you just feel you feel at home when you get there. And I think that's been one of our reasons why our players play so well and um, they're taken care of and our very supportive fan base. And our guys have everything they need to get better, and I think they know that. And you know, to stay healthy, to to, to improve their game, and you know, all those things that, um, you know, that are important to the professional athlete. Yeah, definitely. So uh, before we go on to talk about this past season, I do want us to see if Will has anything else left to add on the discussion we've been having. And if not, I guess he can be the one that gets us started on uh, talking about uh, 2022 and the postseason run that you guys had and anything like that. So, uh, Will, if you uh, want to get us started with that or touch on anything else, uh, take the reins. Yeah, sure. I, I think the the one thing I want to hit on before we start, you know, talking about the the new, like the current American Association, the season past the this this past season, I do, and I do want to ask, uh, what did you? Because obviously the 
as you mentioned before er, earlier on, Milwaukee Milkman, a, uh, it was an expansion franchise, still has not been around very long compared to a lot of other teams in the American Association. Uh, and, of course, that, that first season when you were there as an assistant, there was, I mean, so many, like, uh, so many, you know, like, issues you had to deal with, with the, uh, like, not playing uh, a lot of, so a lot of the home games at, at Franklin Field, and uh, and I'm sure the record wasn't where you wanted it to be. So when you went from assistant coach to manager in 20, uh what ex- what did you take from that first season uh, as an expansion franchise? Uh, you personally, what did you take from that season that you took into uh, being the manager the following year? Uh, Communication is a big thing, and and uh, you know just getting the right players. Uh, I, I learned a lot in 2019. What type of players we needed to be successful in the American Association? Like I said before, the American Association is in my opinion, the best partner league uh, out there. And you have to have really good players to be successful. So that was the biggest thing I took away is how can we get the right players into Milwaukee in, in, in a short amount of time? Uh, because putting my eyes on it in 2019, I, I mean, once I got the job, I knew we, we had to get it. We had to get the right group of guys in there. And, uh, and guys that were hungry, like I said, guys, guys that are talented and hungry, it, you have to have both to be successful. Um, and that that was my biggest takeaway. And I think just just being able to get guys, you know, that would as a as a rookie manager, I had to get the right group of guys. I was young, a rookie, you know, no experience managing in professional baseball. And I had to have my my older guys believe in me. And uh, once they believed in me, that, that that would rub off with the rest of the guys in the clubhouse. And, you know, guys like Miles Smith, um, you know, he was so important, you know. And, and the guys that were with us in 2019 that we brought over to 2020 that believed in me. And, you know, our ownership, Mike Zimmerman, my GM, Dan Kinsey, you know, they all believed in me. And, and having making sure the players believed in me, that was the biggest, I think, thing that needed to take place. And then the winning came, you know, the winning came next. But, you know, making sure we had the right talent to compete in 2020. Right. And uh, and I also wanted to. So, you know, as we kind of transition to at least this past year, there are a lot of different things, of course, with the and stuff that has uh, triggered a lot of discussion on this show as well. Lots of playoff teams, uh, four, te- four teams in each division. The idea that, you know, picking your own opponent. Uh, from your perspective as a manager, kind of what were your impressions and thoughts? And how do you think that it, the new playoff system went this year? And uh, how, as well as some of the other changes? Uh, it was outstanding. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, a lot of fun. Um, I guess the only thing you know i think the whoever wins the division that's always going to be challenging who you want to pick because at the end of the day we're all competitors so you know whoever the one seed picks it's sort of like okay these guys think that you know that we're going to go there and be get you know get steamrolled well that's not the case i mean it pisses a team off a little bit when you get chosen you know and you know like when chicago not that you know chicago chose us and we were we were sort of excited because you know not only we didn't have to go to Cleveland for that long trip but um, <laughs> I'm sure that's but, part but of we it. we but we've had a lot of success playing Chicago in the last three years so our guys were really confident uh, when we you know when we when we found out we were going to play Chicago so uh, but 
overall it was i think it's an outstanding format um i i mean like i said i think we all it all comes down to two like you know is is the the, the owners it has to work for everything it's not just the baseball aspect of it too it's got to work for fans it has to work for budgets you know there's so much that goes into um to running a league so there's things i don't even know but from a pl- uh, manager's perspective player's perspective what i saw this year it was a lot of fun <laughs> you know we were <coughs> we beat chicago in game three at their place we were still watching the cleburne kane county game we didn't know who we were going to play the next game and so then cleburne won and we literally we had <laughs> we had a book fl- we had about a 12-hour turnaround time and we were on the road booking flights um you name it just to get down for the one game in cleburne and uh you know people can say oh the, you know the, those teams have the advantage uh but you know overall we went down to cleburne and what we had to do we won that game and then we got back home and we closed it out so i don't really know i, I know three game playoffs are they're quick but hey you better be ready uh and then the game five you know the five game series in the in the miles wolf uh finals cup finals I think that's a great, you know, great five games is a good amount of games to decide who's the champion. So, yeah, unfortunately, it didn't go our way, but, you know, we were right there. So did you guys ever think about when the when Chicago chose you? Did it ever like kind of come across to you guys like, huh? What, why did why why did Chicago choose us? I'm sure that those thoughts have had to creep in at some point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we so at the end of the regular season, we were in Gary, Indiana, and we were on the road and. We weren't sure where we were going to be again. So it was just like we were waiting to get the news. So when Chicago chose us, you know, it was actually like the guys were pretty excited. <laughs> um, and we were ready. And, I mean, they I think we know why they chose us. It's probably because of the travel. Uh, and, and I think Chicago had just played King County in a four-game series then. So it make, it makes sense. Like I said, I, I, I don't think the one seed is, you know, I think you'll – You'll be looked at or, you know, it'll be magnified who they pick all the time. I, I, I don't think they could pick the right, you know, it doesn't really, I don't think it really matters. You're going to have to beat people anyway. So, uh, but yeah, we, our guys sort of want, our guys were talking about it and we were just trying to focus on, you know, the, the task at hand. Uh, they were very determined and our guys, you know, uh, from the beginning, uh, we had, we had a really talented group of guys and once the playoffs sort of hit, we were, you're in a different mode. So you're saying it wasn't some type of like rah rah, like oh they think they can beat us, like type type of thing. It's more just you guys were just focused on the task at hand. Yeah, I mean there wasn't much of that because we know Chicago was really good. Uh, they had a really good one-two punch on the mound with with uh, Kinley and Kipper, and you know we knew we had our hands full with them. They had a really good ball club. Uh, we've, like I said, we've had a lot of battles with them over the last three years and, and they had the home field advantage. So nothing was going to be easy. And obviously the series was a great three game series, a lot of highlights, a lot of came right down, I think to the ninth inning, the bottom of the ninth, uh, Cody Bahan or their shortstop, um, the shortstop hit one over to the wall and Carl Chester for us made an un- incredible catch and doubled off a guy at first base to end the game. And off off the crack of the bat, I thought the ball was gone and, and it was going to be a, a tied game. Uh, but, you know, we we 
departed and you know we moved on and i know there's a lot of other uh i know there's certainly lots of other interesting points about that playoff run i think that, that nick definitely wants to hit on so nick uh, feel free to take it away if you you got anything you want to add there too as well yep certainly there and i know will you got to run so i'm going to let you do that and i'm the other th- part of that run obviously you guys get through you have the big catch there late go on beat chicago in a series that i think was generally speaking pretty pretty even you know i think no one going in there had a strong feeling of okay this side or the other side's a favorite you go to cleburne a team that you know it was abysmal to start the year but overall you know came around and got really hot in that last part and then uh, you guys kind of handled them fairly easily uh it seemed like at least from the outside <laughs> yeah it, <laughs> I don't think anything was easy, but uh, they were playing really well. Uh, they had a really nice lineup offensively, very good bullpen, and uh, we, you know, yeah, we played we played good baseball. And and AJ Shugel, I think, got us off to the, like I said, in the Cleveland series, we flew down there and he pitched he pitched remarkably, and we got to, you know when you got that first win on the road in a best of three, we felt pretty comfortable going back home to win one out of the two. So. Um, yeah, it was Cleburne was that was not an easy even though it was 2-0 series, it was you know, that was a really good ball club. And they like you said, they were playing well at the end of the year, so we had our hands full. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, they wound up being the hottest team, I think, over their last fifty or so games. Cause I know early on it seemed like they were ready to be written off. I mean, they had something like ten wins to their first thirty games or something like that and and they turned it on, and uh, I guess that was just a situation of uh, you guys just played better than them. And I imagine, you know, getting the win in game one was especially important given that travel all the way down there. That's a game where I at least think if I'm Kleber, I'm like, okay, we have to win the game at home. This is our game to win, as opposed to when we go back into their ballpark now, they're going to get that advantage from it. If it's not so much even just playing in the ballpark and playing in front of their fans, being able to be at home has its own advantage, certainly. Yeah, and that's the thing with the best of three. I mean, <laughs> there was, I think we played a total of how many games? Three, five, like 10 playoff games yeah. this year. And it's it's like you play it, just every game is like a nail biter, a lot of anxiety. You know, mm-hmm. when you're in a three game series, that first game is really crucial um, to the outcome of the three game series. So, uh, we knew when we went down to Cleburne, if we could get that one with our best pitcher on the mound, uh, you know, the series would be in our favor. So, mm. like I said, we the, the guys, we flew down there after a tough series with Chicago and um, got down on the road. And, and you know, we beat Chicago in game three on the road. Then we beat Cleburne at their place. So it was a really, that was the, you know, that was a yeah. big start to that series. Yeah, definitely. And then you wind up getting to the championship game and having what is, I think, think pretty safely put the toughest opponent in the toughest series of the season which when it's the <coughs> ultimate series it should be that way and I know going into it I certainly was definitely feeling like okay I don't know how competitive this is going to be but after game one all those notions went right away because it was okay we're going to have ourselves a, a series and it's looking like it's going to go the distance so i guess what was the preparation going into that last series against fargo because when you look on the other side you see two very very talented teams but still two teams that you feel confident against going in against 
yeah, you know, the prognosticators didn't give us much of a chance against Fargo, which which is understandable. They, you know, they had a really good regular season. Uh, but and they had the home field advantage. Yeah. But yeah, our guys, we we came out, we won the first game at our place, and it, like I said, Fargo is a really good ball club and well managed, and uh, we knew we were we knew it was going to be a tough series. Um, you know, unfortunately, we I think you know won the first game. If maybe we could have got that second game at home to take a two nothing lead, uh, that could have been a difference. But you know, I go back and look back on everything in a five game series and could have been and all that uh but at the end of the day really just proud of how we competed in that series we won all five games to extra innings and um we were right there and and you know we tip our caps to fargo who had a tremendous season and and ended up winning and um you know we those are things though that make me even want it more next year um we were that close um you know a couple breaks here and there and couple plays you make a couple you know balls that fall in that you know should have fallen in that don't and there's just you know you look back at everything i'm sure um you know win or lose it's just sometimes it's not meant to be that and and that's sort of what happened and uh, but our guys really gave a hell of an effort that series um to have a lead in the seventh inning at fargo in game five Mm. uh was you know from where we had been at certain points of the regular season it's, it's just a tremendous, you know, tremendous effort by everybody in our organization. And we were right there. And um, like I said, Fargo deserved it and they won the game. And, um, you know, we, but, but from a series standpoint, you know, the five games, it was a back and forth. I think we yeah. won the first one and they took the next two and we won game four. So game five at their place, that's, you know, at the beginning of the season, if you told me, hey, you're going to be playing for a championship, game five of a best of five. You signed me up, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was it was a fun it was a fun fun ride, and I think the American Association saw a great series, and the fans, um, you know, I know I know our fans were proud of our team, and we just you know got to get one more game next year. Yeah, and I mean, especially with that game five, it was really almost a microcosm of the whole series itself, with the highs and the lows, and how much that kept swinging all around. And I know for. A non-significant portion of that game, it seemed like everyone that was kind of in the indie ball world looked over and was watching this game where you'd have lead swings on both sides just go so quickly on it. And there was times where you thought for certain one team was going to have it and then the next team, the next inning, the other team would go ahead and just swing it completely the other way. So I can only imagine being in the dugout for that, what the roller coaster of emotion was like. Yeah, it was it was a big roller coaster. I mean, we tried to stay calm. And yeah. I mean, there's things you, as a manager, now that I've done it a little while, there's things you can control and things you can't control. Um, the yeah. uncontrollables, controllables. And you just have to sometimes let things play out, play themselves out. Uh, and I, I tell myself I wouldn't have done anything different in that situation as a manager. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes the other teams just, you know, they have a better game and and that was a game. Like you said, it was just a run of emotions, a run of, you know, up and down score was Argo had the lead early. Then we had the lead. And then the extra innings, we have both closers. We had Dubord against Benoit and, I took Benoit out, you know, I mean, yeah. Benoit had thrown the day before and Dubord was a little bit fresher. Yeah. So it was something where somebody was going to have to budge. And, and, you know, by the end it was just, you know, it was their time to win a championship and uh, we'll, you know, we'll be back at it next year. And 
uh, like I said, congratulations to them. But you know, I, I really proud of proud of our team, our organization, and you know, we've come quite. You know, the last three years we played in two championship series, or two out of three years we played in championship series. So uh, we've yeah. come a long way, and we put ourselves on the map in partner league professional baseball. Certainly, and I mean, I think in your division now, you have to look at it and say. You know, obviously there's a lot of turnover every year with who's going to be on that roster. But when you look at it and you go, we have one team that in the four years they've existed, every time they make the postseason, they manage to get to a championship game. That certainly has to put you towards the top of the expectation uh, chain for uh, for your division. And I mean, across independent league baseball, certainly too. So it is uh, it's something else, the kind of success that you've managed to have there over time and I know the league just released their uh, their season schedule earlier today and I'm really grateful they did so that way I can ask you about that series at the end of May where you get the rematch against Fargo and you get your opportunity uh, you know obviously not with the same group but an opportunity to go back and get that series win is that kind of a, a series you look forward to when you see that on the uh, calendar yeah it's going to be fun I, I know I'm looking at the schedule we open up at Lake Country and then yeah, we get to go up to Fargo at the end of May. So it'll be nice just to go back up there and, you know, relive a little bit of memories. But, yeah, just to get back at it. And I, I told, you know, I tell people I can't wait for that next game, uh, you know, because it's a long off season. you know, when, you, yeah. when you've made it as far as we did and we came close. But, you know, you want to just get – you want to get – start, you know, you're, comp- yeah. you're a competitor and you want to go out there and compete. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to May 12th and – playing at Lake Country and just getting right back at it. Uh, but, yeah, it'll be nice to go play Fargo. And it's always, uh, you know, they have a classy organization and they do things really well. And uh, it's one of the better places to go go play. So, yeah, yeah, I'll definitely bring back some memories. So um, see how we do. Yeah, no, certainly. And I, I guess that just kind of brings me to one of the very few questions I have left, which is what was it like having kind of a more natural uh, geographic rival an in-state rival with Lake country this past year? Cause I know they got added and part of their appeal was like, okay, we have a, a genuine rival for Milwaukee. Obviously you have other rifles that you develop over time. Just having a team close by doesn't make it a rival, but uh, what was that like kind of having that brand new ballpark over there in uh, Lake Country? Because I'm not going to try and pronounce the actual name of the city. It's uh, in. Condom- I think it's Oconomowoc. Oconomowoc. I, I'm um, going to run with that because I, I don't think well, I could say yeah, it. it. Yeah, I've learned I've learned some of the names in Wisconsin now. I'm pretty good at them. Uh, but yeah, it's it's nice. I mean, you know, anytime you can add a team uh, within the geographical footprint for the, the American Association, it, it's outstanding. And think uh their fans just our short time playing them this year uh their fans were great and uh they really you know supported their team and i know over time with our fan base our fan base you know we we've competed at a high level so uh it's been you know one you know with with milwaukee we've won a championship we've been to the championship series made the playoffs in 2021 so um you know we're just a couple years ahead of schedule i'm sure you know it's going to become you know, like right now, the last couple of years, people ask, oh, what's your biggest rivalry? It's been Chicago. Yeah. Uh, and I think anytime you mention Milwaukee and Chicago, no matter what sport it is, yeah. um, it's it's always, that's a huge rivalry. So uh, in my head, like, this, I'm still trying to get through that, like, oh, okay, now Lake Country is going to be a rival. I mean, I just look at every team as, as somebody we have to beat. So 
Yeah. Um, I look at Lake Country as is a nice rivalry because they're 30 minutes away, and and we you know we get to develop baseball, and, and what, it's good for the community. You know, when you have two professional baseball teams within a geographical you know footprint of maybe an hour you know hour less less than an hour away it grows the game of baseball and i think that's what's important and you know the fans in the area the communities uh i i you know i obviously like i said i look at everyone as a rival so i'm not really looking at lake country any different than i look at kansas city or chicago king county every team to me fargo they're all to me they're all the same we go out there we try to try to win games and uh, but it's it's nice. It's, it does develop baseball in the area in the communities. Yeah, it definitely does that. And so, on that note, uh, I have about one, maybe two questions left to ask, and then I'll give you some time at the end, uh, as yeah. we always do here. But I do yeah. want to just circle back to very much in the beginning where you mentioned you played at Felician in uh, Lodi yeah. and Rutherford, and so. I when I was doing the prep work for this, I did come across I guess a, a YouTube interview you had done in the past back in 2020, and you had mentioned that once you graduated from Felician, you wound up living down the shore for a bit. So the second you said that, being a Jersey guy myself, I had to go. Yeah. Okay, whereabouts? And then when you mentioned that it was in Point, I was like, okay, I gotta ask about what it was like working on uh, Jenkinson's Boardwalk in Point Pleasant, and, yeah. uh, and what booth? Because you yeah. described yourself as a bit of a carny at that point. Yeah, so I have a, it's a great story. Uh, so in 2001, my playing, so my season had ended. Uh, it was the spring semester 2001. I still had, I needed one more class to graduate. All right. So I was taking a summer class up in North Jersey, and yeah. one of my best friends from my team, uh, his name is Rich Vosnacht. He was yeah. he was a catcher on our team, and anyway, he was a shore guy. He lived down in Point Pleasant. Yeah. So Rich, Rich had said, "Hey man, you know why don't you instead of living on campus for the summer, come live down on the shore. You, you'll have the best time of your life." <laughs> so, um, so instead of campus, I, I made like my advisor back at college is like, "Ah, just come up once a week. We'll check yeah. in for your class, do do your work, whatever." Yeah. And uh, made it really nice where I, I lived down in Point Pleasant and then commuted once a week back and forth just for the class to finish my degree. Yeah. And I lived in Point Pleasant Beach. I worked at Jenkinson's Boardwalk, yeah. and I was a carny. That was my first post-college job. I was, I was running the carnival rides uh, oh, on the okay. boardwalk. I know what you're talking. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the hurricanes might have destroyed Jenkinson's Boardwalk in the last couple couple five years yeah um it, when sandy came through it kind of messed up the whole area seaside got hit yeah, very bad but yeah uh, and it was either so that was the job i got so i was running carnival rides nine in the morning till nine at night working on the boardwalk uh you know and it was it made me really like hey i <laughs> i yeah. love being down on the shore but i'm like okay yeah. i i can't do this for much longer so <laughs> that's when i yeah. got into coaching and but it was a it was a great experience, and you know, being down on the Jersey Shore with, you know, be, we went. I'd go down to Atlantic City, and uh, just the shore life itself, yeah. as you might know, uh, yeah. the shore life is, it's it's a little wild, and uh, obviously, yeah. you know, MTV made a made a lot of money off of a off of a series about the Jersey Shore. Yeah. So, 
uh, you you could imagine the type of fun I had uh, for that yeah. summer. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> does that answer your question? It, it very much does, because I know plenty okay. of people that spend the whole summer down there, and they're very much in two groups of either one, you won't see them when it's light out, or they're like <laughs> stoners without the weed, and so <laughs> they only well, spend I, those. Oh, I had not only not only did I go out. I mean, I had yeah. to work at nine in the morning, yeah. and then after work at nine at night. I didn't sleep much that summer and, um, but I didn't, I didn't need to, you know, I was, I was finishing up college and I was single and and just like, you know, having some fun. So, and just uh, it sleeps overrated anyway. Yeah. The old saying, yeah, it's very overrated. Yeah. The only other thing I have, because I, I brought, I heard this in the interview and I kind of, I got to ask about it, which is what's this with like skunks in Jamestown living in tarps or something like that? Uh, yeah. So, so I'm from Jamestown, New York. Yeah. yeah. I, the, the team, the new team name out here, I guess is the Jamestown tarp skunks. Okay. But so we, in Jamestown, we have like, is it an epidemic? Uh, we have like a problem with yeah. skunks in our, in our city. Like, uh, the, like it's just infested with skunks or something. Yes. Infested with skunks, rats. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's yeah, it's a dirty, yeah. a somewhat dirty city, I guess. But yeah. Uh, yeah, we have a lot of skunks. So basically, these skunks every summer they live in the tarps on the field. So uh, the tarp, anytime you'd roll yeah. the, you know, you have a tarp roll. Yeah. <laughs> all the groundskeepers and players and whatever. Yeah. You always had to check in. We used to have to throw a ball into the into the tarp roller. <laughs> Just to try to like yeah. notify the skunks, like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna roll this thing. Yeah, just because yeah, they would live them. there all. They'd live there all summer. They would, they'd live in the ballpark all summer. They would look for trash, garbage, whatever. And uh, yeah, that and and it's called the tarp skunks too because yeah. I guess the person who invented the tarp was from this this location, this oh, okay. geographical area. Yeah. So, and then the skunks live in the tarp, so they just made it into, I guess, a a mascot, and I guess it sort of stuck. Yeah, it became a kind (laughs) of natural fit. Yeah, yeah, but it's fine. At night, it's like, I I go out, I'm even like, when I go out and take out the garbage at night or something, I I always worry, because we keep our garbage right next to our garage. Yeah. I'm like, am I going to get sprayed tonight? Or, yeah, it's like, you always got to be careful. So, um, in the wintertime, like, I'm from country here yeah. right off of lake erie so we get a lot of snow i'm not sure in the winter if they're around much but in yeah. the summertime and when it's not snowing uh, yeah they're all over the place yeah i could just imagine the poor intern that doesn't know about that and tries to take initiative to just start rolling out the tarp and then just pff. yeah getting sprayed yeah yeah, yeah. but not good yeah. Yeah, not good at all there. But uh, I guess uh, I th- at this point in time, I guess I'll just give you the I'll give you five ten minutes at the very end here. You know, if there's anything you want to go back over, anything that we missed that you want to bring up, uh, anything you got to promote or say or anything like that. Uh, as is custom around here, we we give you the time at the end to do so. So I guess the the floor is yours now. No, I'm just just thankful uh, that you know that we have platforms for independent professional baseball and all the partner leagues. Uh, and this is great what you guys do. It gives not only, you know, guys like, you know, me, but our players, most importantly, mm. in our in our organizations, um, the social media um, attention that they deserve. And, you know, it's nice when our guys you know, can get headlines and different things. It's just promoting them. Uh, it's it's wonderful. So what, what you guys do is definitely not it doesn't go unnoticed. 
and we, you know, managers, we, we all look at this stuff <laughs> and, you know, check out what other teams are doing. And it's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, every year we just go about our business here in Milwaukee and we're trying to, you know, maintain the success and the, and create the culture of, you know, winning and, and having fun and getting guys signed. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a pleasure to do it. I mean, we're happy to do them. We appreciate that. Uh, the effort goes noticed and, uh, that we can have some yeah. sort of a positive impact. Yeah, it definitely goes noticed and, you know, our guys look at it and it's, it's a lot of fun. So, um, glad how long have you guys been covering independent baseball uh so for me i started this at the very end of 2018 so 2019 would have been our first okay. season i know will jumped on about midway through 2020 <coughs> uh he came on and he we've been doing it since then so i guess about two three years uh, depending on how uh you structure or four years i guess technically you count 19 yeah so closing on half a decade of it so okay yeah so nice it's certainly it's certainly been something it just kind of started as a no one really talks about this and being in northern new jersey we had you know somerset had new jersey had sussex county long island rockland all of them around so it's like hey there's more of this than there is actual affiliated minor league ball and i know personally like yeah. going to an affiliated game it's weird for me just because i kind of like obviously players try to win that's what they do but knowing that the yeah. result doesn't matter, it bothers me on some level. I like to know that yeah, the, res it, the result yeah. matters. The result does matter. It's, I think that's really weird about affiliated baseball. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's you know I, I go back to my old college days where I was at. You had the old Newark Bears that were right there. Yeah. Uh, the Cam Camden had a team. Atlantic yeah. City had a team. So yeah, um, yeah the Atlantic City. I don't even know if they have a ballpark there anymore. But, the ballpark um, is still standing. It's just no one yeah. inhabits it. Like, I know Sandy messed it up a bit because it flooded. Yeah. And then you just have your you know, typical vandals and whatnot going through it, breaking windows and stuff like that. Yeah. They tried restoring it, and they kind of use it for, like, high school and, like, community college and stuff like that. Yeah. But, I mean, there is – I know there's people that want to bring it back there. It's just you need an ownership group to do it. Yeah, so, definitely. But, it would fit either the Atlantic League or the Frontier League. For Frontier sure. League would work very well for that. I don't know, but uh, yeah. Well, this was this was great. Like I said, I enjoyed it, and yeah. Uh, yeah. we're looking forward to another great season, and looking forward to following you guys on social media and keeping up to date. And we can hopefully make this a yearly thing where we can chat. So uh, hopefully, I mean, yeah. I'd love to have you yeah. back on when we get close to the season to kind of. Go yeah, over the team, yeah, go absolutely. over everything. I mean, you're more than welcome back here. We appreciate you taking an hour of your time uh, to go ahead and do this. And, you know, we're happy to keep doing it as long as we can keep doing it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I appreciate it. Love to be back on. Once again, we just want to thank you for coming on the show. We definitely appreciate uh, Anthony Barone taking the time out of his day to jump on and talk to us for a while i hope you guys found uh that very enjoyable i know we enjoyed doing it and uh as we mentioned i think it probably will be on the uh on the final cut of the interview but i have yet to edit it as we record this because i just do editing in one shot but i imagine i left in the part where we said we'd love to have him back on when we get close to the start of the season and if we didn't leave it in then i'll say it now we'd love to have him back on when we get towards the start of the season once we get towards that middle part of may to kind of you know look at the team preview the league what's his thoughts on everything we'd love to have him back on then
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, obviously appreciate him coming on. It was incredibly fun uh, interview, really informative, just a great baseball mind and, uh, and uh, love to talk. Uh, obviously covered a wide range of topics. So that was, that was a, a lot of fun to, to conduct. I'm sure you would agree, Nick. And uh, Anthony's a great guy, very gracious with his time and, uh, and just really getting a, getting an insight into how, uh, a team like the Milwaukee Milkmen is run, and it's it's really cool to, for for it to take us inside it as well as the other as well as the listeners as well. I think uh, just just a really interesting, enlightening interview for sure. Definitely, definitely, all the way there. And with that, that's for all we got for you this week. Uh, hopefully, you guys enjoyed the show. We'll go to the plugs in just a second, but uh, we should hopefully have another interview next week. Whether that's a usual suspect candidate. Or if it's somebody new, we will wait and see. I had to reach out to a team for some reason, and the team has yet to get back to me. So getting that particular guest right now is still kind of in uh, in a bit of flux. So I guess I may actually have to do this the old-fashioned way and call. I know, God forbid, I have to do that. But uh, when emails aren't answered, then I got to call. So we'll focus on that. We'll let you guys know when and if we do have our guests for next week or if it's just going to be our usual suspect list, including someone that's currently watching the World Series and I've been enjoying watching the meltdown on Twitter from that particular individual. But um, anywho, uh, if you want to follow the show and follow said Twitter account, you could do so on uh, well on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You could do so on Instagram at ALPB underscore news and at uh, IndieBallReport.com. You can find the show wherever you find podcasts, uh, We'll just plug the Spotify and we'll plug uh, Podbean and, of course, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts as well. But like I said, just about anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find the show. So uh, with that said, do we have anything else left to add? Um, I would just like to add the New Jersey Devils are 8-3 and three, and I hope Mackenzie Blackwood is not too injured and can get back soon. All right, then that's one way of looking at the Devils season. I didn't realize they were 8-3 and three there. 8-3? and three? I Big th- win over Edmund, the Edmonton Oilers as well. Great I s- time. Very I still exciting. believe it's like fool's gold at this point. I refuse I, to I, I can imagine. I, I can't imagine why you think that. I don't believe it's legitimate. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. We can agree to disagree. Just saying. Everybody in this division's like within four points of each other. So Unless you're Columbus. But. Yeah, they're, they're not. I mean, the, the when the Devils played Columbus, I mean, it was a, just a complete uh, annihilation. And uh, I think, yeah, just an interesting collection of players over there. That uh, <laughs> And they're not, they're definitely struggling badly. See, what I don't get is the Rangers get dismantled by Columbus, but then turn around and are like mere inches away from beating Colorado and like, regulation time i don't understand this it's very weird i don't like losing to teams we should kick the hell out of but you could you could just not allow a goal to colorado like we did but your goalie had to come all the way out of the come way out of the net that's the one yearly mistake that occurs so like i'm i'll live with that that's a fair point so then also uh, at least we don't have to worry about goaltending regressing we're good on well, that. Well, well, considering our our goaltender, my our starting goaltender is is now hurt. That that is something, I, mean, I suppose. It's been like since when have you had goaltending? 
It's been like a decade. Oh, we haven't had a good goaltender since like Corey Schneider first first took over for Brodeur, and then Schneider got hurt, and then uh, never came, never was the same again. So it's been a long time. You know, I just don't know what it's like to not have good goaltending. That's what I got. Yeah, n- never had that problem. I'm trying to really think when the last time the Rangers struggled in net. I mean, like, there is that, like, year and a half period from Richter to Lundquist where, like, Mike Dunham was in net a lot. But I don't really count that. So, like, if you want to count it, sure, there's that. So, like, 2003, 2004. Uh, if you want to go back beyond that, though, probably the 80s. But even then, I mean, like, pretty sure it was, like, Glenn Hanlon and like Eddie Mio who were all right they weren't great but they were all right and then you have like really when you look at Ranger goaltending it goes like Hall of Famer okay to above average to borderline Hall of Famer borderline Hall of Famer Sherlock Hall of Famer Vezina winner that's really the story of Ranger goaltending likely future Hall of Famer when it's said none you would think oh yeah yeah so, I mean, like, you'd look at the history of Ranger hockey for, like, the past 90-plus years, 95 years. It's kind of like the one thing we always do right is goaltending. Yeah, must be nice. It is nice. It never really results in anything because then you have some shenanigans in the original six era where all your good players get shipped off to, like, Boston and Detroit, and you and Chicago wind up becoming, like, basically a glorified farm team because the same guy owns three teams but you know that's not for fun but you know whatever but anywho uh, let me enjoy my time let me enjoy my start anywho uh i'm just gonna add there's a taylor swift tour coming up i plan to be purchasing tickets for that there she's gonna be in new jersey three days I've put down for all three days in New Jersey. I'm going to buy as many as I financially can, which is probably a poor life decision, but I don't really care. I feel like I'm entitled to one of them every year. I can't consider, I mean, I don't mind Taylor Swift. I would not spend the money to go to a concert, but I mean, I know you're a big fan, so I'm sure that'll be fun for you. Then also, I kind of want, like this time, because I've seen her in concert once before, and it was honestly like, even if you're not a fan, she puts on a very, very good show. I'm not going to I lie. believe that. Like, it's just probably not worth the price. You'd have to pay for it. Uh, let's see. Last time at MetLife, uh, 200s level, like first or second row, facing directly at the stage. For two tickets, it ran me like 328. Holy. So God. it really wasn't that bad. What do you mean not that bad? I've paid worse. I don't even want to know. Uh, well, I mean, it may or may not be worse. I think I paid to see Chesney, Old Dominion. Uh, who's the one dude that nobody I didn't care about? No, Brandon Life. That's it. It was originally supposed to be those three, but then they added Thomas Rhett later on after I'd already bought the tickets. Uh, to see those four, four tickets ran me about 600, I think. So that wasn't great. It was basically the same section, but I had an overhang. And I'll say this much. Chesney was very underwhelming. Old Dominion was pretty solid. And Thomas Rhett was better than I expected. And Brandon Lay, I just felt bad for because 
Like, you know the size of MetLife. It's like, what, 82,000 people? Yeah. Oh, so big. Yeah. So they sell, obviously, two-thirds of it because behind the stage, no one's going to buy that. Sh- why would you buy behind the stage when you can't see anything? It'd be pointless. So it's probably like a solid, like, 60,000 seats. I, if I had to guess, the amount of people that were actually watching Brandon Lay was probably in the neighborhood of about 2,000 people. So I just, I felt so bad for this dude because you're just looking out and there's nobody there. There's just a mound of empty seats, empty front row seats. And you're trying to like get that performance up. You're trying to be like, all right, let's get the energy going and enjoying this. Cause I mean, like if you're Brandon Lay, this is like really big for you. You get to open for Kenny Chesney and two other like top 100 artists at the time like this is this could be huge for you and there's like 2,000 people here and there's just a bunch of empty seats and it's hot as hell and it's just not really working (laughs) so I felt so bad for this poor guy (laughs) and he wasn't that bad like he was actually pretty okay like I wouldn't pay to see Brandon Lay obviously I didn't I paid to see the other three which really I paid to see the other two at the time but whatever so anyway that's a long way of making my point of I didn't think 328 was that bad. I would never pay that. Ever. Ever, 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 ever. Like, here's the thing. I'm cool spending my money on stuff like that. So I kind of expect to be in the neighborhood of about 400 uh, per two tickets for, for this upcoming one. I kind of am expecting that. But see, I pay it. But then when I go with other people, I also shake them down for money. So <laughs> you have to exactly yeah like that's the thing like f- I will say like for some events where like my numbers kind of like 50 60 like I'll eat 50 or 60 but I'm getting value back elsewhere so like 50 or 60 I'll pay for the ticket but you're driving to wherever you're going you're paying for like whatever the cost of parking is whatever tolls are you're driving in and then if there's money left over I'm getting like a beer or something out of it like and that point, in my mind, I'm like, okay, it's about fair. I got about $50 in value back. A fair way to look at it, I suppose. Yeah, as long as I'm getting roughly the same value, I'm good. It's when it, we're over like 70, 80, 100, we're like, okay, I'd like the money. So I always like the money. Yeah, actually, that reminds me. I got to shake people down for money for the uh, Duke game at MSG. I got Beautiful. Shake. Yeah, I thank you. You gotta, you gotta get on that then. I do have to get on that. So, uh, any case, we have anything else left to uh, talk about on this, or are we just I don't wrap think it up? so. I think we're good. All right. So then, uh, with that said, we'll see you next week, maybe with a guest. But until then, don't forget to play ball. <laughs>